been in Psalm 119 on Sunday evenings, and the beauty of this chapter is, of course, the theme of it is God's Word itself, but even a little bit more directly as you read through it, as I found myself reading through it, I just find David expressing, him being a man after God's own heart, his, his love for the Word of God, his appreciation for it, but it also seems to me that he senses God's Word is not this impersonal instruction book, even though it's not every verse is not dripping with affectionate words from God, just this impressing upon David, the psalmist, that God is demonstrating His love by giving us His Word. And verse after verse after verse, uh, you'd almost think that David would run out of things to say about his appreciation for God's Word and his understanding of how God is showing his love to us as his children. And yet, uh, it just abounds, and he probably could have gone on, except the Holy Spirit uh, had him stop at the point that he did. We're going to look at Psalm 119, beginning at verse 17 tonight. I want to read those eight verses, 17 through 24. And I want you to notice the expressions in these particular verses of words that show the difficulties that David is aware that he was going through in his life. There are certain words that might stand out. And then directly connected to that, how God's Word was a particular help during those difficulties, or how he found himself longing for God's Word during those difficulties. We're going to make those applications to ourselves tonight. So Psalm 119, beginning at verse 17, says, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Craving God's work during difficulties, finding ourselves during hardships, could be specific individuals that we're accosted by, it could be circumstances that we're not sure what to do with, and yet the, the answer to some degree is always going back to God's Word, bolstering ourselves and His promises, staying afloat by faith by what He has said he will do. Maybe it's just in how he has described and revealed himself to be. You take great delight in knowing who God is, how he reveals himself in his word and saying, you know, because my God is this, you know, I can have great strength. I can, I can weather through this storm in my life. I can handle this interlude that seems to be filled with doubtfulness and depression. There's an answer for all of that. And so I want to look at craving God's Word during difficulties. 
one particular writer on this particular section of Scripture said, the inward stirring and touching of God makes us hungry, yearning. For the Spirit of God hunts our spirit. I love that phrase right there. The Spirit of God hunts our spirit. And the more it touches it, the greater our hunger and our craving. You know, we don't always pursue God in our hearts and even in our minds and our thoughts as we should. But, but God is highly super interested in us at all times, is He not? It's the, it's the shepherd mindset. The sheep sometimes become oblivious and maybe even resentful of the shepherd. The shepherd is always interested and caring for the sheep. And so when the sheep are going through difficulties, when God's children are going through hardships, God says, I want you to know that there are ways to address that. This, as this entire psalm is, really, this is a prayer. You can hear it, hopefully, as we read through those eight verses as David is talking this back to God in heaven. And it really has to be a prayer if you think about the content of what we have here. For these are things that he could not do for himself. You and I can't do these things for ourselves. And we need to appreciate that. We need to become very honest with ourselves. God knows this to be true. Sometimes he's waiting for us to come to this, this dawning, if you would. How patient he is with us sometimes, right? So God, what he does is instills in his children this craving for his word. It's right that we have that. And sometimes that, that is brought on by the difficulties. It's not often when things are comfortable and easy going. It's when the hardships come, it's like, wow, I need to get back into the word. Or I need, I need to spend some time in prayer and meditation. Uh, as God's children, we know that. And then we think, why does it take the difficulty? I, I should want that all the time. But specifically when there's a need that arises. And so our craving for God's Word should result in our seeking after certain things. Three things that I want to cover tonight from this text that uh, we are going to seek after as we have this craving for God's Word, specifically in the context of having difficulties in our life. And what do those things result in? Well, first of all, there's going to be a ripening process in your life. And I use ripening in a positive sense. Now, I'm not just pulling this out of thin air, even though you don't see the word ripe here in our English Bibles, he starts off by really uh, imploring God, deal bountifully with thy servant. And that phrase, deal bountifully, comes from a singular Hebrew to bear fruit. And another, another process of that would be maturing, right? You put, put a little sprout peach tree in your yard, you're not going to expect to see big bulging peaches you know, that season, you realize it's going to have to grow a little bit. It might have to go a few years. It's going to have to mature. In the same way it is for us as Christians. We might say it's a weaning process where we go into maturity, just like a, a ch child is able to, to wean in its diet, if you would. But for this to happen, God knows 
he often uses difficulties to get our spirit to cooperate with that. Like so many things, God knows our needs. He has to do things for, health, for us to see those needs. Start off in the garden. Adam, all by himself. You know, I don't think it's good for Adam to be alone. I know that, God says. Uh, how do I get Adam to know that? Hmm. Because if I just put Eve there, he might be like, what are you doing here? I'll give him a project. I'll have him name all the animals. Okay. Oh, there's an elephant. I'll call you a gorilla. Well, maybe we'll call you an orangutan. Maybe we'll call you an ostrich. You know, goes right down the list. Oh, wait a minute. Haven't I seen you before? Aren't you Mr. Elephant? No, you look like Mr. Elephant. You're a little different. We'll call you Mrs. Elephant, you know. This is how I would teach the kids in, in vacation Bible school, but it bears out. What? Because we know that part of this very clearly in Genesis was a project given to Adam because it, it says in the Word of God, but for Adam there was not found, right? And so when God then put him to sleep, pulled the rib out, formed Eve, and wakes up and he goes, whoa, man, you know, there's, there's Eve. Now, I say some of this with jest, but we're slow on the uptake sometimes, even as God's children. And so God has to bring things about in our life so that we realize, I need that. God knew it was always a need in our life. And so it is that he brings sometimes hardships so we can appreciate his grace in our life, his involvement, his intervention. What do I need to do? I need, I need to believe, really. I think of what Philippians uh, 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I like the, the focal point of that. Here's Paul saying to the believers in the town of Philippi. Now, what he's trying to impress upon them is, you have need, and God's able to meet your need. But notice he says, but, he doesn't say, but your God, what does he say? My God shall supply all your need. He's saying, from my vantage point, I know God is trustworthy. I know God is Jehovah Jireh. I've experienced that. I'm convinced of that. And so in faith, I know that my God shall supply all your need. Was he suggesting that his God was different than their God? No. Truth of the matter is, their God is the same God, but they needed to come to that realization too. You know, as you disciple someone and you're encouraging them, you're edifying them, you might make comments, and you might tell an, an account, a testimony. And this has happened many times where I'll say, you know, hey, you know, I know you're going through a hard time. You're not sure how God's going to see you through this little spot here. You know, you're, you're waiting for a job or, you know, you're waiting for this, you know, uh, money to come in from a settlement or whatever like that. God's, God's got you. He's going to take care of you. And I'll say, you know, I, I, I can say this with confidence. Why? Because I've seen God over and over and over again meet my need. My God shall supply all my need. I can say, my God shall supply all your need. What needs to happen is you begin to say, my God shall supply all my need. 
That's the idea. That, that's a ripening process. I love the account in 2 Kings chapter 4 where e Elisha, he has these, the school of the prophets, right? He's, he's training, the, or Elijah had started it. Now Elijah's gone, Elisha's there. And so one of these prophets passes away. The widow comes to Elisha and says, I'm in a real spot. He says, we're, we're about out of everything. My husband died, and so I don't have anyone to take care of me. And, and the bondsman's coming to take my two sons away, to indenture them. He says, well, what do you have at home? He says, well, I've got a pot of oil. He says, well, go to your neighbors and get every empty vessel you can possibly get and bring it into your house. And then start pouring the oil out of that one vessel into another vessel, you know, just keep doing that over and over again. And so she did that. She you know, sent her sons out, you know, and they did this. And they had all this oil. And the Bible, Bible says when we got the last pot, the oil stayed. And then she says, now what do I do? <laughs> She's like, go and sell all that oil. That was a precious commodity in those days. What was, what is that, what was that going to tell her? What was that going to teach her sons? That when you're in a bind and you're in a difficult situation, God can step in and supply those needs. Don't you think that she took a big leap spiritually in her development at that point, seeing what God could do? A bountiful harvest is one that has enjoyed the proper nutrients so that it can produce good fruit. We, we talked about this a little bit in the morning message. We were talking about the parable of the, the sower in the fields and the different grounds and so forth like that. And, and while God is responsible for that germination process, we know that uh, where that seed is found will flourish if it's being fed better by the presence of its heart, if you would. Yet we know that, you know, if you fill it up with good iron-rich soil, you know, it's uh, got all that, those proper nutrients, corn's going to grow, tomatoes are going to grow. If you don't have a, a nutrient-rich soil, you're probably going to have some problems there. And so it is. We need to make sure that if we want to grow spiritually, if we're going to ripen, we've got to be placing into our heart through our meditations, our reading of the Word of God, the proper nutrient truths. So when events happen, they can sprout in belief and faith in a great God. He is great. He is majestic. He's, he's the magnitude of everything you can describe. But the point is, God wants you personally to come to those realizations. There's really two kinds of ripening. One that I call climax ripening. And here he says, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live. There comes a point in which the fruit is considered to be ready. You know, you don't want to go to the apple tree prematurely and pull it off. A small child might do that, but you're like, no, no, wait till it turns red or whatever the appropriate color is. It'll be so much better than that. You know, that's the problem with grocery stores, right? Is that they have to pick it before it's ripe. But if you're ever someplace where you can pull it off of the tree or off of the vine and it's been ripened to the point of fruition, it tastes so much better, doesn't it? It's amazing the, the difference there. And, and that's what David is saying here, bring me through this ripening process 
so that I can really taste what life is all about, the spiritual walk. And then he says, to keep thy word. Well, this means not just ripening, but the correct ripening. In other words, tomato plants may green and flourish, but if they never ripen correctly, for instance, I tried to grow tomato plants at one point in our backyard, and they do need to be tended. I was hoping that I could, you know, uh, put in the dirt, put in the plants, water them, trust in the rains, over like that, and, you know, God would do the rest. And He does, but I found out that, you know, you might need to go out there and pinch some worms off. Uh, depending on what the soil content is, you might get what's called blossom in rot down there. You know, I'd get these beautiful red tomatoes and you turn underneath and they're all rotten underneath. And you say, well, you know, you need to add some more lime to the soil and all these different things. You learn a lot about farming in a situation like that. There's a correct ripening that needs to go on for it to be a beneficial piece of produce. And so it is in our lives as well. Many people speak of a a full and enjoyable life. I I meet people in the community that have no relationship with Jesus Christ whatsoever. And and they'll talk about, oh, yeah, my life has been good. They'll talk about all the experiences they've had. And I even had one lady, you know, that I was witnessing to, I shared my testimony. She's like, oh, you know, I wouldn't change anything about my life. I thought, well, how, how sad, because there's some major thing you need to change in your life, and that is having a relationship with God Almighty. And while she was quite content with it, she, she had not ripened properly. She had no connection with the Word of God and God's authority in her life, and therefore really the benefits. There, it's like she was a blossom in rot individual. You know, most of her life was red and juicy ripe, but, but missing the, the key thing that would make it an enjoyable life. As I was reading through these different sections, and this is just verse 1 here, and talking about the, the ripening process, I thought, how, how, how would I phrase a prayer with what I'm seeing in here? And I'd say, you know, do I find myself longing to be fruitful for the Lord? I ought to be. You ought to be, right? Lord, ripen me. Bring me through that process. And so I said, maybe I would pray something like this, Lord, I do not simply want to grow. I want to be productive as your child. I don't want to just, you know, know more intellectually about the Bible. Help me to be used so that others are impacted. You are glorified through my life. That's part of the ripening process. Boy, when you go through difficulties, if that's one of the results, if you understand that's why God's putting difficulties in your life, it's a lot easier to go through those. You have a positive objective. There's also the revealing process in your life. This is another result of craving God's Word during difficulties. And this is the larger section here of verses 18 through 21. The craving for spiritual insight and discernment is worded both in a positive way and a negative way in these verses. For instance, He cries out, open thou mine eyes. That's positive. Please do this. Add this into my life that I have insight. But then negatively, he's also saying, hide it not. In other words, don't don't hold back these things in verse 19 from me. I, I want to be able to discern 
what your word has for me for these difficult times. It begs the question, do you and I recognize the need for revealing? Again, this is, again, pairs nicely with this morning's message as we spent time talking about the Holy Spirit's role in unfurling biblical truth, giving us discernment in our our lives. And obviously, David understood this, that he wasn't just by gaining more academic understanding, intellectual ability, wasn't going to be enough. He, He wants God's intervention in this way. Because he says in verse 18, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I cannot figure this out on my own. I lack insight is the idea. And I find that too. I don't know what your concept of is what I do, what Pastor Brian does, what Pastor Dale, Pastor Stan, you know, different ones that teach Sunday school here do that, oh, we know, we've had maybe Bible college training, you know, we've been doing this for many years. All that helps. I'll tell you, there is, there is no substitute by, except for getting on your face before God, before you even crack open the Bible even, but even as you're doing it, saying, Lord, open up my understanding to what this is saying and how to properly apply it in this particular situation. I don't have that insight. Sometimes people say to me, hey, what you said today really clicked with me. That was good. It would be so wrong for me to walk away thinking, I am pretty clever as a pastor. I know I didn't come up with that. I know that that God embedded that thought somehow into my mind. I even find myself thinking, where did that come from? (laughs) And I love giving God the glory for that. I'd be so foolish not to give God the glory for that. It also would nix the the opportunity moving forward of gaining more of it because I wouldn't be going back with the right attitude. Lord, you gave me that. Give me more, right? If I started to think, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the next sermon all by myself. I'm not going to say a prayer, you know. I'll, I'll show those people at Anchor what I can do. Wow, how wrong that would be, how lacking that would be with God's divine power. How full that would be of sinful behavior and attitudes on my part. We do lack insight. You lack insight in your quiet time. You need God to open up your understanding. Because there is a limited ignorance. He calls himself a stranger. What does he mean by that? I feel like I'm in unfamiliar territory. I still feel that way sometimes. When I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking... Lord, I've read this so many times, you know, but really open this up to me. And it's amazing how God will do precisely that. And then it becomes all of a sudden familiar ground to me. It's like home all of a sudden in our lives. And I walk away and I'm like, I love that process of God revealing that I didn't know and now I do know. Really makes you feel this big, but at the same time, it also makes you super special. God, you did that for me. There's nothing like that. So you need to recognize your need for revealing. You also need to represent an urgency for revealing. In verse 20, you need to say, you know, 
Have I felt consumed about this? You, you can't trivialize this whole process. And, and again, you probably don't because difficulties are going on. So the level of urgency is up because of whatever circumstantially is going on in your life. But what does David say here? My soul breaketh. He, he really feels consumed about this. He's not thinking when you say, my soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. He, he's not thinking about other things. He, he's like laser focused at this point. Uh, this word breaketh, William Gurnall said that is as one breaking a vein by straining. Hopefully you've never done that, you know. But, uh, you know, maybe some of these guys that work out or something like that. Uh, but I've seen people that are really exerting themselves and, you know, and maybe they have this, this vein on the side of their temple and it just bulges out, you know. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, you know. That, that's the idea that there's such an immersion into the activity, such a, such a devoted spirit to this. He's like, my soul breaketh. What an urgency that we push our soul almost to exhaustion, craving God's Word. And I have to confess, there's, there's times that I've like, I'm not getting it. I'm going to go do something else. But at times that I just keep coming back, Lord, I can't let this go. <laughs> Pastor Brian also will appreciate this, Pastor Dale, too, when you say, I'm going to preach through a text of Scripture, all right? And then, you, and then you, you know, you're familiar with it, but you come up to a verse and you're like, wow, I can't skip that, or this one's going to be tough, right? What did I get myself into? <laughs> you know? And so it really commits you. And you see that on money, like, Lord, you know, help me to really know what I'm supposed to say here. Help me to know what this is about here. Help me know how to properly apply this. I'm not getting it. And I, and I can't, the people will know, it's like, Hey, Pastor, you know, you didn't say anything about verse 20, okay? Can we get a little redo there? God has always come through. Let me just tell you that. God has always come through. You know, I, I, I remember one time that I was, I was digging through all kinds of books on my shelf, out of the commentaries, looking in the, the indexes of certain books. I'm like, maybe there's something about this verse in one of these notes that I have from college days or something like that, you know, I'm like, Lord, guide me, you know, and I wrestled all week long, and, and then it was like Friday, or don't play me like this, you know, when, and when it came to me, it's like, oh, so refreshing, you know, and that whole process wasn't wasted, because I realized, you know, that was all beneficial, I learned so much, during that scraping and raking process, if you would. But I was consumed with that. That's so good for us to want to know that. Sometimes people will come to me with a problem, like, Pastor, what does the Bible say about this? I'm like, give me a, give me a week or two. Let me come back to you. I want to give you some good, solid verses and some understanding. And I prayed. And, you know, that, that involves my energies and my passions, more than my own problem. Because if it's my problem, I can think, I'll just put it on the back burner. You know, but it's like, I can't do this. It's my sheep, this precious person in my life. I committed to them. I need an answer, Lord, in all this. Very consuming. 
Do we labor in the Word to discern the divine essence of it? We need to. Are we consumed? Also, am I familiar with the cursed people? He says in verse 21, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Cursed here has the idea of what happened with Lucifer, for instance. God's Word, He was right there in heaven. He was the son of the morning. But what happened? He was lifted up with the pride of his heart. I will be as the Most High God. I think of Adam, who bought into the secondary lie of Satan and said, you know what? I can, I can, I can have what God has said is off limits. I can be something that God's holding back from me. And when Adam forsook the clearness of God's instructions, he brought a curse upon himself and all humanity. There, there is always an element of a, a curse or a consequence when we deviate from what God's Word clearly teaches us. Obedience, God blesses. Disobedience, there's consequences. Am I familiar with that? He says, thou hast rebuked the proud. You know, if you're going to get a little full of yourself, you're going to think that you don't need God's you know, everyday help and guidance along the way, be prepared to be rebuked. God's not going to just let you walk away with that. Oh, may I never forget the sobering reality of what becomes of the proud person. And so as I considered these verses, I found myself saying, Lord, give me the insight I need knowing my own ignorance because I have intense desire to grow and I do not want to become proud or complacent. It's important that we see the revealing process, that God unfurls His truth. And that's a precious thing for us as we see that. And then the third element is the rolling process, the result of craving God's Word during difficulties time. What do I mean by the rolling process here in our lives? Notice verse 22. He says, remove from me reproach and contempt. The Word of God helps to literally roll away some things in our life. That's what the word remove means in the Hebrew. Roll this away. Roll it away. It has the picture in our minds of a heavy rock sitting on maybe a hillside, but in an indenture, and it's not moving. But you come along, and there is enough initial force to rock it out of that place and down it goes the hillside. You know, there there are issues in our life that only God can roll that away. And specifically, what is being rolled away, what is praying for, is reproach and contempt. What does this rolling away process involve? Well, it has to do with our reputation. By reproach, it's the word scorn, as is sometimes translated in other versions of the Bible. Taunting is another way in the, the Hebrew says this word could be. In other words, there's an, an outlook by other people looking at you. And at best, they're not admiring you. Let's put it that way. They may not have to jeer you with their verbal words, 
but it could just be, you know, how you get around someone, they just have this little smirkish grin on their face, or, or maybe sort of a there, there, pitiful look on their face. It, it communicates the same thing. And, and you feel scorned, is the idea. And, and David, obviously, was feeling this in his own life. And this contempt, this idea of an attitude, now reproach probably is communicated, contempt is probably the idea of what people are thinking deep inside, but they go hand in hand. And honestly, we have no control over what people are thinking or how they respond, and that can frustrate us so much. In fact, you'll sometimes hear someone say, wipe that smirk off your face, right? We don't like that. Job is an example of someone that faced this. We know from the outset of reading the book of Job that what he's going through is not because he had got off out of line and God was disciplining him to get back in line. God was saying, consider my servant Job who's perfect, not flawless, but spiritually mature. So his three friends show up. They're quiet for a while, which was good. When they speak, open their mouths, they got in trouble. Why? Because what were they doing? Job, you must have done something wrong. That's what this is. It's, it's just the opposite of the song that Julie Andrews sings in Sound of Music where somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good, right? It's the opposite. It's somewhere in your life you must have done something bad. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening in your life. Common thought by human beings but often very wrong. And David is saying, my reputation is at stake here. Lord, I can't, if I stand up and try to uh, protest this, they're going to say, well, of course you're going to protest that, right? Only God, only you can take care of this. I remember a good friend of mine who was also an assistant pastor where I was an assistant pastor up in Chicago, many years ago, and there was a young woman in the church that came with allegations of impropriety against him, and she had given great detail in her testimony to some of the other authorities in the church about this, and she was very passionate about what had happened and when it had happened and where it had happened. And then they came to him, and he says, he says, well, I'm certainly glad to tell you that on that particular night, I was with my wife at these people's homes having supper, and there was cooperation. He's like, you know, but he, he looked at me, he says, Carl, he said, but what if I hadn't been? What if I had been, you know, out praying, you know, all by myself somewhere during that time, and He said, I realized God had my back in that. And that's how we have to understand. We need to be careful, but ultimately we have to realize we have to turn to God to establish our integrity. It defends our reputation. Secondly, it diffuses resistance. This rolling process in verse 23 talks about princes who are individuals of prominence and authority. Say, well, I don't have princes in my life. Well, But we all have authority people in our life, whoever that might be. Could be civil authority, could be otherwise. And you you really want leadership to think well of you. 
The problem here is they were sitting and speaking against me. There was gossip that was going on. It's different than the average neighbor. This can be detrimental. It could affect me economically. It could affect me socially. It could affect me even in my effectiveness in ministry in all this way. We love the Anchorage camp, and I remember years ago that the Anchorage camp was one of these building projects that they, they needed to work on. And they uh, had a little bit of dissatisfaction from some of the neighbors who, now the camp has been there for 50 years, okay? And when this had happened, it had been there for 40 years. And so at this point, everybody that's bordering the camp had come to live there after the camp was already there, had already been a camp. So when you bought your house, you knew there's a camp there. There's children that come there. There's cheering. There's soccer games. There's splashing at the lake. I mean, if, if you didn't know that, you, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty uh, ignorant about what a camp is all about. Well, the point of this is there wanted to be some, some fuss about approving a, a building project because they didn't want to see the camp get any more effective or bigger or add programs to it than it already was. And I remember partnering along with other pastors, praying for them because they were going to a zoning meeting that night, and they weren't sure how it was going to go. And let's just say that the Lord had to work because some of the individuals that probably would have been swayed by so many homeowners around it, there was a unanimous vote to side with the uh, giving the permit to the camp to do the building project they needed to do. And we walked away and we said, you know what, God is good. Now, the camp has worked really hard to build good relations with the neighbors, you know, and to, you know, to be pleasant and say, you know, we're not trying to be an annoyance here or anything like that. And really, since that time, it's been neat to see how the neighbors have fallen in love with the camp and support it and, and everything. But the point was, God was able to do something during that difficulty, and there was a teaching process in all of our lives that were connected to that process of how God can take even those that are in authority, and He can work in their hearts and change their hearts. Don't get so worked up about the politics. Be a good steward. Go and vote. Be knowledgeable to some degree, but in the end, God can change the hearts and move in legislations no matter who's in power. Thirdly, it demands restraint. This rolling process demands restraint. Verse 24, he says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. What's he saying here? I will meditate when others are malicious. In other words, instead of going out, Oh yeah, let me tell you a thing or two. What did David say? I'm going to just spend some more time just considering the Word of God. My God, what He can do. And let it counsel my heart. And sometimes we can get a little up in our back as Christians, like, well, I've got right on my side and right is might. And we can come off a little brash in that way. That was, that was not the spirit here. There was restraint. Sometimes it's best to be silent when others are slandering. It really is. As Shakespeare said, you know, methinks he doth protest too much wisdom in that. It's not scripture, but there's wisdom in that. And sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is 
Let God be our defender, right? This rolling off, I'm reminded of, we never got really into tent camping too much, but I, I remember going once when I was um, in uh, the Sunday school class. It wasn't even teenage youth, uh, youth group yet at this point. And we went to some lake, and uh, all I remember is how good pancakes tasted on a, uh, a, a, a propane grill out in the open air like that. You know, it's just one of those memories that kind of stick with you. But the other thing I remembered was that uh, the tent I was in, because all different men that were sponsored had brought tents, and I didn't have a tent, and so his tent that night. Not everybody knew this, but you know, just because doesn't mean it's leak-proof, okay? You, and you have to do things to it to help maintain its uh, proofness against water, if you would. And so a lot of the guys got wet that night, but the tent I was in with my Sunday school teacher, we didn't get wet. Why? Because he knew about seam sealer. There was some sort of liquid substance that he had freshly put on in preparation, you know, as he pulled all his camping gear out there and put that in, it dried into it, and therefore it kept the water from getting into those seams and therefore dripping onto us. The water just rolled off the tent. And sometimes when things happen in our lives, we just need to make sure that we have prepared our minds with the Word of God. Because we don't know what's coming next. We don't know when that person's going to come to us agitated on the phone or send us that text message or walk right up to us. You know, and if we have seemed sealed our brains, if we could put it that way, with Scripture, it's not that we are dismissive of people, but we can, we can take what they're saying graciously. It doesn't have to ruin our day. It doesn't have to say, well, if that's what, how they're going to be, I'd just give up. I'm done with this Christianity stuff. No, we just say, you know what? God's Word has protected my mind. I can, I can roll that off, that reproach. It doesn't have to stick to me in that way. And I would say to this, these verses, Lord, help me to treat myself with Your Word so that the maliciousness of the world cannot permeate my spirit. It can get to us if we let it, folks. But if, if you... Really seal yourself in with the Word of God, that truth. It really goes a long way to keep it from sinking in and affecting you. What could remedy your discouragement better than a specific and large answer to prayer? Samuel Shoemaker said, Religion that is merely ritual and ceremonial can never satisfy. In other words, if it's just about came to church, sang some hymns, checked into Sunday school, you know, had some muffins and coffee, heard a good lesson, uh, you know, greeted people in the lobby, you know, went home, I checked the box. If you're thinking the check the box approach, you know, you're, you're not getting it. You're really not getting it. That's never going to satisfy. Neither can we be satisfied by a religion that is merely humanitarian and serviceable to mankind. You know, I'm, I'm going to go out and see what I can do. I'm going to help my friend with his fence. I'm going to bring groceries to this widow. I mean, these are all good things, and we ought to sing songs, and we ought to be in Sunday school and adult Bible study and things like that. 
But if that's it, if that's where it's stopping in our hearts, we're not getting it. In other words, man's craving has to be spiritual. Lord, I crave you. I, I crave you to reveal yourself to me from your word. I want to have a sense that I'm walking with you. Not that just I'm learning intellectually. Look how many verses I can quote. Lord, I've gotten close to you. There's a tenderness about this. Jesus said, you need to abide in me and, and I in you. There is that grafting, literally. Look at that imagery that he's talking about, the vine and the branches. That's integral in the picture that he's given to us. Is that what you have? Is that your Christian life? Is that your walk? Difficulties are coming, my friend. As the sparks fly upward, man is born for adversity. But you know what? Those difficulties don't have to take you down. You can be lifted up by your picture of your God, faithful God, loving God, tender God, that you run to and you love. And you find yourself just at as much rest in the storms of life as Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat when the storms came up on Sea of Galilee. We can be that way, folks, because we have such faith and trust in knowing my God loves me and He guides me. It doesn't matter what comes or how hard it gets. Nothing can change that. But God's Word has to permeate our minds, doesn't it? May God help us to let that happen. Father, thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Help us to be diligent in the Word but not just to be learning intellectually, academically, but to be craving you, loving you, seeing you, understanding you, praising you as the word grafts into our bodies, our lives. And Lord, I pray that then when difficulties come, we just feel buoyed up as the tides of life swell and we see your grace at work. We see your supply, your providence, and we can just praise and exalt your name. Lord, may as we anticipate those next difficulties in our life, may that be our approach as we see from the word of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.